So kind of just getting into it, like what was your first experience with France itself? Ooh, I think I was discovering the movies of Noah Baumbach at the time. And I think it was, I don't remember the first time I actually, when, when it was, when I first saw it, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to remember whether it was before marriage story or after marriage story. I think it might've been before because I hadn't really heard too much about who Noah Baumbach was. And I was still kind of getting into, into movies. And I mean, marriage story came out what, two years ago, three yeah. years ago now. Oh my God. I'm really nearly, old. nearly three years. Fucking hell. Yeah. Nearly three years ago. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Are we allowed to swear in on this show? Because I, because a lot of the oh, quotes yeah, I bro. wrote down bro, 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 yeah, because a lot, in my notes, a lot of the quotes I wrote down, there's just a lot of swears. <laughs> there's a lot of swears. There's a lot of dirty jokes. Mate, it's absolutely um, not a problem. Okay. Okay. I'd good. be. I'd be, mate. You should. I think you remember me in Jack's podcast. I'll be a hypocrite otherwise. I just. I can't help myself. It, yeah. Yeah. I'm from the south a, of England. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um. That's a good question, though. I, I. I'm just trying to remember. It was probably before I saw Marriage Story, and when I just saw this movie, it was just like the environment of it, the tone of it, the. I don't know. There's just a way. Bombback makes his movies and really i yes this is a di- movie directed by noah Bombback. we're gonna get into this and written by noah Bombback. but greta gerwig co-writes the movie and i think that's a very very key distinction here because this movie kind of changes noah Bombback's career and is completely different than almost all of his movies from that came before this one. Oh yeah it's so much lighter it's so much um I, I guess hopeful in a way there's a, like an there's there's this like inherent awkwardness and uh, I guess feminine feminine mystique that 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 a perspective that just simply hadn't been in any of his movies before because if you watch something like Squid and the Whale have you seen the Squid and the Whale I'm embarrassed to say I haven't that movie is one of the most cynical and and sharp sharpest most cynical movies you'll ever see and it's pretty unbelievable that the same guy who made that movie also made this one and i don't think it's a coincidence that you know gurg not only star wars starred in the movie but also kind of co-wrote the film and what i how i view this film from i guess the 300 from a 300 foot lens is just it's a this movie is just a coalition of two very different tonal styles of filmmaking, but they come together in such a beautiful way and it mixes together so perfectly that you get this perfect, pretty perfect artifact in uh, Francis Ha. And, I, and again, I just absolutely love the movie. Um, I, I, I've talked too much. <laughs> okay, I'm talking mate. too much. Uh, bro, you talk as much as you like. I mean, and I think that's the thing I loved most with this rewatch of Francis Ha. I literally got back from a night out and I just watched as soon as I got home. Um, and in a way, I think that's kind of the perfect mindset because I'm just kind of trying to like chill. And that's, I think that's kind of the vibe the film's trying to go for. Because like you say, you know, Bum Back's other films are kind of more a bit more kind of dark and I guess you could say on an emotional level intense Francis Ha is probably his lightest film and I think the thing I love about Francis Ha yeah. the most it's got a really kind of like you were saying a really nice feminine touch to it because all of Noah Baumbach's other films including Marriage Story to an extent because you kind of are made to kind of side more with Adam Driver they have quite this like male energy to them and what i yeah. love about francis hara is just such a kind of feminine film and you can kind of can see where Greta Gerwig kind of helped him with that Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm going to pull up my notes right now, but like in the first, what, 10 minutes of the movie, they're talking about like, 
it, it, I mean, Greta Gerwig's character is with, is talking with Sophie, who is the. Um, are we doing spoilers for this conversation? Absolutely, Mike. Okay, so spoilers from here on out, at the very least. Um, from here, so they have conversations in this movie about stuff like how how their boyfriends like treat them during sex and stuff like that. <laughs> I knew really, that's where you're going. Exactly. And it's just like this really, um, it's just the sort of conversation that you would only hear between two girlfriends, you know, like a dude would never write that sort of, could never ever write that sort of dialogue. It's just, it would just be impossible just because they're a dude. Right. And, and, in that scene is just so, it's just, to me, it, it just kind of encapsulates what makes this movie so much more different than, um, all of Bombac's other films. And it's just, I don't know, it, it, that, like that scene really kind of blew me away in, in that um, in that sense. And in that particular scene we're talking about, there's an amazing bit in it, which then comes back about 30 minutes late in the film, which I love. They're talking about the the um, the fella that this, um, what's Francis' friend's name called again? It's um, Sophie. They're talking about- they're talking about um the fella that sophie's like dating and francis goes oh he's probably the type of fella that says oh oh i'm i just went for a leak and then half an hour later that same character comes back and he's like oh i just came back from having a leak and i just love that <laughs> because it because it shows that noah bombach and greta gerwig are very kind of self-aware of their writing and they really kind of because in screenwriting and i even see like great screeners like aaron Sorkin can do this they can kind of like lose the tone and what they're going for throughout the screenplay but it's kind of like noah bumback is really good at capturing the kind of same feeling and tone throughout the whole thing and with like bits like that kind of coming around it shows that there's always kind of the self-awareness with the screenwriting exactly yeah and that's sort of a bombback trait where he'll like present this joke or present this idea like he'll splatter in paris in the movie like and then 20 minutes later paris will pop up in the conversation and then all of a sudden toward the end of the scene uh then this is the dinner scene of course greta gerwig just decides to go to paris you know and it's just like these little ideas that he sort of is able to um filter within scenes or filter earlier in the movie that will pay off later and they just feel like throwaway lines or they just feel like uh, throwaway character or just like singular character beats but he's such a craftful uh, and, and, and artful screenwriter that it that it all sort of comes back together and the reason why he's able to hide it so well is because he just has this incredible sense of humor and i don't know if it's totally unique because it's a little sorkinian with the way he sort of with the way that that's sort of written I, um, but there's I a sort of that. a cynicism and a sharpness to it that Sorkin doesn't really have with Sorkin. There is a sharpness to what Sorkin does, but Sorkin's a lot more, I mean, his movies, I don't want to get into a Sorkin tangent, but his movies are just a lot more hopeful and positive. And sometimes it's for the detriment of the movie. Um, staring at you being the Ricardos. Um, and mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's again, let's not get into a Sorkin tangent, but one of the things that makes uh, Bob back so good is that he, he his, his, his take on that sort of dialogue style is always the more cynical and, and sort of negative and uh, self-reflective version version of that. Um, and, and you see it really plastered all throughout the movie. I mean, there's so many instances. The, the, the one example of this that runs through the movie the most is probably just the undateable line, you know? Yeah. 
Um, the fact that she'll just say something awkward and uh, the people around her just don't really respond instantaneously, then she'll just say undateable. Um, and, and, that, and, and that does really come into fruition finally at the very, very end of the movie when he's talking with, when she's talking with a character who, I don't know about your interpretation of this character, uh, I'm forgetting his name, but to me, he was just, he's the on-screen embodiment of, of Noah Baumbach. Um, and, and I kind of want to like get into that sort of idea. I don't know if that sort of came across to you, but like after rewatching this movie, it, it just seems so obvious that this is Noel Baumbach. Um, but are you a talking about playing Noel Baumbach? Are you talking about the fella who's like known for being a bit of a bullshitter by Adam Driver's character, the one who says stuff like, "Oh, I've just um, done an audio piece for SNL." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, not the character kind of looks like Noel Baumbach, like a younger version of Noel Baumbach. He's working on a spec script for, 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 what was it? Um, uh, it was, it was like Crudes three or something like, something like that. Let me try to open up my, my notes as to like exactly, um, it's exactly what it was. I'm having trouble finding it right now, but it's, I mean, the fact that he's like a writer, a screenwriter, kind of negative, kind of into this Greta Gerwig character, um extreme like extremely self-aware and he even looks like Bombac. to me it's just such an obvious like one-to-one comparison and i mean it makes sense right they those two kind of developed their relationship off screen gerwig and Bombac, kind of after this movie and and i think like their relationship not just as screenwriters but as like human beings really comes through in this movie if you if you have that context in the back of your head while watching the film it makes the film even more enjoyable given that everything that's happening and even in all the dialogue just feels so raw and emotional because it actually is raw and emotional it's not just made up and you can tell that they both wrote it together because the kind of emotional development that you see with those characters in the film is basically what was happening to them in real life yeah yeah, and that's really cool. That's, <laughs> that's really cool. Really, really cool. And, and there's some even some lines that that just sort that just totally feel like they're actually working through how they feel ab- about each other. Like I think there's there's this line where the the bombback stand-in character, who again is the, is the roommate with Adam Driver, he's like, "When I first saw you, I, I just wanted to fuck you." But now we're too good of friends, so now we can't do that. You know what I mean? And then yeah. at the very end, of course, he gets really, really nervous after not seeing her after a while. And I, and I just felt like maybe that isn't like one for one what happened in real life, but it, uh, but from an emotional standpoint, it, it definitely feels like that, like on the like really, really on the nose. So I th- does that am I making stuff up or does that make sense to you? It makes perfect sense. To, and honestly, the the best thing about Francis Ha after watching it today and the thing that i think i love about it most is i just i think the characters francis in particular are just perfect i love how for such a short film um francis hartfield's you really within the first 10 minutes you just really understand her she's this kind of she's this fragile woman who tries to put herself like forward is confident by kind of like dating even though you can kind of see it's not her thing by smoking by drinking despite the fact really all she is is kind of a very kind of expressive woman who just wants to live her dream as a dancer yeah yeah exactly and it's such a strong movie about you know trying to figure out where you are in the world at 27 years old 
or in your late mid to late twenties and you're not in college anymore. Um, you're getting to an age where people sort of expect you to settle down and kind of have a more, I want to say conventional job. Right. And then she's just trying to, because life has gone, I don't say so fast for her, but life has been so comfortable for her that she doesn't, but it's not until, you know, she, her roommate leaves her that she realizes that, oh, oh crap. It's not, you know, I'm not in this comfortable, safe place anymore. You know, I, I, I need responsible. Um, I don't have any money. Um, the, this dancing, uh, gig, this dancing life, this being trying to be a professional dancer, that's not working out for me. I mean, just, I, I have to move from place to place to place all the time. I, I, I can't hold down a, a simple relationship. Like all these things that kind of signify from like, from, from, I guess, from an outside perspective, like a normal like person in their late twenties trying to settle down in life, she's doing the opposite, either actively or, or, or it's just happening to her without her even trying. So that sort of tension within the movie is, is, is the thing that um, I, I guess gives it stakes. You know, it's not, you're not just watching someone throw away their life and, and it feels kind of weird and aloof right? That there's like, that's sort of the thing that sort of grounds the movie and kind of is the Noah Baumbach angle, like the little more, the slightly more cynical angle um, that combines so well with Gerwig just randomly dancing around and saying crazy stuff and, and getting drunk. And again, it's like those two tones that just marry so beautifully. And I think for somebody like our age, this story of a woman who's kind of 27, she's getting to that point now where she has to figure life out a bit, but she has this passion and it's really relatable. Like for me personally, like I've been kind of progressing through work quite quick. And I want anyone who's listening to work now, I love and appreciate my job and I don't want you to fire me, but like <laughs> I've been um I've been progressing at work, but in in my life I've always had this dream. But now I'm kind of steering so much like this way. And it can be really intense and stressful knowing whether you should dump this all and kind of go for that or whether you should appreciate that this isn't working and just kind of move on. Yeah, yeah. And then the end of the movie, it kind of tries to go both ways, right? Because she's still in the company, but she's more of a director and an organizer than an actual dancer, yeah. you know, and she might have and, 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 and then that sort of and being able to actually kind of settle down into that one thing, the thing that was presented to her a little earlier in the film, and, and actually kind of accept her reality in a way like that, her, her acceptance is what actually kind of gets her through that, through that thing, which is, which is kind of an interesting ending, you know, in a way, because it, it doesn't, yeah. it's not like, Oh, all of a sudden there's this breakthrough as she had as a dancer, or it wasn't like, because it's, it's hard to say, I think this movie is hope has a hopeful ending, but I don't know if it's totally a, like a positive ending. Do you know I what I mean? I was going to say, I think it's very bittersweet because like, yeah, on one hand, she's now a bit more secure in life and she's found her ground. But then at the same time, she's just this dream that she's had throughout the whole film is now just kind of gone and she's just taken an office job at the agency. It's definitely more sweet than sour because she, I mean, she does direct the final play and it's like really good. And it does, it does reflect her personality, just, the, just sort of the strange choreography of the entire that entire final dance does that make sense yeah um and so it kind of so it definitely works on on that level and it's definitely it definitely envisions this brighter future for this character which is again something that Bombac just didn't really do in his earlier movies and had, had has shifted away from that 
um, shifted away from that dramatically in this movie and then slowly has done so with each each film, including Marriage Story. Um, and I think we're going to talk about the movie even more um, as, the, as our conversation deepens. But uh, yeah, it's just, I, I found it to be a really, really interesting ending. I kind of forgot sort of where it, I know, I knew how it landed, but I did, I forgot like sort of how it felt when it landed. You know what I mean? And like you said, I love how it kind of ends on a really subtle and quiet note. Like it kind of just, the the end kind of like dwindles upon you. It's not like she doesn't get like some like great, like director doesn't discover her and she becomes like the number one dancer in the world. Like I like how the film almost has a message of like sometimes in life you won't achieve the exact dream you wanted, but you can do something else and still be happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's a, it's obviously it's a movie about finding happiness, finding that inner peace, and she really spends the almost for like an hour of the movie just trying to find that. Especially after her roommate Sophie decides to leave the room, um, the, no longer be her roommate, and like that that's the thing that's the moment that sort of sets this whole movie in motion. But even before that, I mean, it's just I love maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie. Or, or montage or collection of scenes. It's kind of hard to explain. It's just the first two minutes of the movie where it's just a bunch of very, very short clips and montages. And the reason why it might be my favorite aspect of the film is just because like it establishes so much. It establishes both these characters without knowing their names. It establishes their relationship. It establishes the tone of the film. It establishes um, their... I, I mean, it, quite it, it, the the visual style of the movie. It just does so much in just a two minute span. And when a movie can do that and can sort of teleport you into its world without like even feeling like it's trying and doing it in such a, a just such a brisk um, period of time, that's when you know you you have something special in your hands. Oh yeah, um, and that's kind of the and something just kind of like near like kind of stay back to the start something that Noah Bombach and Greta Gerwig have this immensely talented skill at, which I will be forever jealous of as somebody who was an aspiring screenwriter at one point. They make setting up characters through dialogue just look so easy. Like This is an hour and 22 film, and all of the characters kind of get established and we know what they are and what they're about and where Greta stands with, where, I'm sorry, Francis stands with them within like the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, the first two minutes we understand, and I and I wrote about this a lot in my notes. Uh, just we under we just know what the core of the movie is that their relationship between these two characters is really. I I would say that's probably the heart of the movie. Um, everything that goes on between uh, Francis and Sophie, I'd say, and I know Sophie goes kind of goes in and out of the movie, but she's the one character who is in the opening scene and is in pretty much the last scene of the film. Um, the movie's about Francis, but her relationship to, but, but Francis's ideas about her own life and perspective on, on her own life is all through what Sophie's doing, right? Because Sophie's accomplishments and what's happening to Sophie throughout the movie is pretty much the exact opposite of what France, what's going on with Francis, you know? And and I think a lot of other movies would have just been like, oh, Fran the, thus this whole movie will be about how Francis is jealous of Sophie's life. And then a lot of the movie is about that. But then there's that really key scene uh or sequence 
at, at the college when Sophie just randomly shows up. And, this, and that's one of the things I really like about this movie, like random things just sort of happen. There's almost, there's very little anticipation for them to happen. And that's just sort of how life goes. And I think that's, that's where, yeah, what that's really life. works. Yeah, exactly. It really works that way. Um, but just with this particular instance, when Sophie just randomly shows up and she gets really drunk and she starts saying you know, how he's not, how she's not going to marry this person. And, and, you know, it seems like she's unraveling her feelings in, in that way. And by doing that, it's not saying that Sophie is totally changed as a character or Sophie doesn't like the dude that he, patch the dude that he, that, um, her, her fiance, what the movie's saying is that, that what Francis has been doing for the last hour and just being aloof and making random decisions and, and being a really awkward 27 year old who doesn't really have a direction, what she's been doing, it wasn't useless. You know, there was, there's value. There's a strange value into what she was doing and how she was sort of living her life because deep down inside, as much as having that stability is the more objective right thing to do, it isn't necessarily the only thing you should do. Does that make sense? Makes sense. And just to kind of, kind of like reiterate, like I guess Francis Har is a great kind of coming of age story that's great a message, but also just kind of highlights kind of like the little things in life, like the random things in life that we all kind of experience. And these little things in life that get away, get in the way. Like there's that scene in it where um she tries to pay using her credit card and they say they only accept debit. And it's hilarious that she tries to sprint to a um or cash and she has to try and find an ATM. And I was just laughing. I was messaging my girlfriend because the exact same thing happened today where we booked a taxi, but this taxi only accepted cash. So I had to sprint to an ATM to withdraw the money and come back. And it just goes to show just kind of how real and grounded Noel Bumbuck is with his writing and how he really just likes to kind of write write about life and how great and how shitty life can be at the same time. That also feels a lot like a Greta Gerwig scene too, you know, because think of the scene and like think of Little Woman, for example, when um there's a there's a bunch of times when Trisha Ronan's character um is just running through the streets of new york you know and like that's like that's a like i mean running scenes are all over movies and a lot of great filmmakers do a lot of running scenes but it is sort of like it it does it's kind of you can kind of compare the two in terms of not just the fact that they're both running in terms of how what they're trying to project about the character and how you should feel about this character and in this sort of moment totally they're they're similar um but I think the sign of a great filmmaker is that they're able to go on kind of a, what seems and feels like this totally random tangent, but the movie has enough space to have a scene like that because it establishes these really core things about our characters and about it, about the movie itself. So early on, right. Just kind of go back to those first couple minutes when, and when it establishes so many of these things. And then now because it's done all the, all the dirty work early on, and doing it really well and seamlessly, by the way, it has room to have scenes like that when when the Greta Gerwig character, Frances Hosler, are like, oh, wait, I need cash. So I'm just going to book out of here and start sprinting to the nearest ATM. And it's going to take much longer than it should. And I'm going to fall on the way back. And, 
you know, all, all these sort of natural things and all, all these like little quirks that sort of get us even more attached to, to our character and into the film. Greta Gerberg also has a thing for that where she just, just kind of, she kind of likes to make big scenes out of these like little natural things happen in life. Like Little Women is a great example, you know, like when Saoirse Ronan, she like, there's that bit in it at the end of Saoirse Ronan where like, it's very overly dramatic, but it's meant to be where like she's chasing after this one guy she wants to be with or like in like ladybird when she turns 18 and all she wants to do is like buy a pack of cigarettes and a magazine um yeah they they clearly care a lot about kind of what it means to live a life i guess you could say yeah yeah kind of the emotional journey of all yeah and it kind of adds another element again it adds like a natural element to the characters you know they don't feel like they're following a plot or they're following a script they don't feel like that you know they're not they're are even following a, a certain genre of a way of a, like how you know like the you know like the you know, the regular uh character arc of say an action hero or a thriller you know it, it what it does is that it just creates it, it brings the character to life you know by by having these extremely natural and kind of random moments it it, it makes us feel that the character is a person and not um and not this other thing do, do you do you know what i'm trying to say or this or an archetype so and it's kind of and when you do it well it's it's risky but when you do it well you you can create this really really beautiful movie oh, i agree it is risky and i was thinking when watching it it is a talent it, it seems like such a simple and basic film but really it takes a lot of talent to kind of make a film where all you're trying to do is just make a little film about life because you because you run the risk of just writing a load of random scenes which kind of just go nowhere and then yeah. it doesn't create a co- consistent film and then the film just kind of seems a bit like random i guess you could say yeah plotless um and i mean i think that's what some people felt with something like uh, we were talking about this a little earlier before the show, like Licorice Pizza, right? Because this yeah. movie in Licorice exactly. Pizza, I guess, That's is kind of really similar in the way and once upon that they're time both plotless. What? What? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is awesome on that springs yeah. to mind. Yeah, exactly. Like these plotless movies that, I mean, it's riskier because it's harder to write. I, uh, it, it's harder to write in a more, I guess, coherent way for the characters. And you could sort of get lost in the sauce of what you're doing when you don't have a structure to go by. But if you're able to sort of, I don't know, stay on your toes in a way and keep the themes of the movie in your head and understand that character is the most important aspect because of, of that type of movie because the character is, isn't good or interesting, you're just going to be bored for two hours. Um, but if you can create them in this sort of unique light while also shed your ideas onto them you can create i mean the the ceiling of your movie you can blast right through it because you're not going by the conventions of an of a normal plot driven movie yeah does that make yeah you know what i mean makes perfect sense and things with audiences i think and even critics to an extent they do sometimes struggle with plotless films because they kind of don't know like what to make of it or how you're meant to feel about it like it reminds me of how, you know, not everyone's um, overwhelmed by Licorice Pizza, how people had a hard time once upon a time in Hollywood. The only, like, plotless film out there that I can think of, which everybody just adores, is, like, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is actively plotless. Like, that movie actively does things and actively has twists. And it's not even told in a straight way. You yeah. know, I think there was a plot there. And then 
Quentin or or maybe they're there I guess if you could put it in order there might actually be a plot there but then he literally decided let's move the third act and make it the first act and and, and do all, all these like machinations sort of like that um, but that is a good example um, but I mean there, there obviously are tons of other sort of quote-unquote plotless movies but I'm they're not really coming um, to my head, I, Lady Bird. I would say that's a plotless movie. That's a fair. I mean, I mean, it does follow a, I guess a sort of like a, an 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 arc from point A to point B. You know, like the beginning of your senior year to when you first start college. But there isn't anything, I guess, concrete in between. No, you know, like it, her actions are her actions, and I mean, the only I, the only timeline it follows is 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 uh. I, again, like like the school days, you know, like so. I it's I don't know. I'm it's just that's a, a again that's another Greta Gerwig film, and I think that's I, I think it's brilliant. I mean, Greta Gerwig, I don't know, but to me, she's one of my favorite filmmakers and people in Hollywood. Period. I mean, I oh, I, I love Greta Gerwig. I, I I think I think Little Woman's a five star movie. I think Lady Bird's a five star movie. I think this is a five star movie. Um, I just have so much respect and just the way she's able to, I, I guess, shine a light on characters and um, her tone. And, and, and there's like this, there's this constant optimism, but there's enough uh, thoughtfulness and pessimism that it isn't, you're not watching like a kid's movie, you know? So there's just like, it's, I don't know, the way she's able to just combine everything. It's just really hard to sort of describe what 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 attracts me to, to her films and her filmmaking something i i want to ask everybody's seen this like what did you make of it being on black and white because i was watching it and i was trying to i, I can't say i already had a problem with it but at the same time i was trying to figure out why it is black and white like why they made that kind of creative decision you know what i honestly have trouble figuring out exactly why it was black and white but i think it's probably the most beautiful movie bombax made um, oh, I think just yeah. visually it's so striking and it's one of the reasons why I think this is a five-star movie and a perfect film. It's just because I, I don't know, maybe one of, I guess one, I, one idea just now off top of my head is why this might've been a black and white movie is because I mean, Bombach was what in his early forties, late thirties when he made this film and maybe he's kind of shooting this from a perspective of, you know, of, of like a past of like, you know, of like a like a memory almost like like this was my history yeah you know and kind of projecting that onto like a different female character and putting a twist on it right um but i i don't know i to, to me it just works visually i just think this is such a beautiful striking movie it's it's also shot in it's also very obviously shot in film as well which i think that was definitely sort of a choice that it made um, i absolutely love that I loved it. Well, I loved it as well. It creates this even more sort of tactile feel to the film and, um, and, and it just works really perfectly. And, and again, I think this is the best movie visually he's ever made. He's a, he's a very underrated technical director. Um, he makes a lot of very subtle decisions with it with, um, the way, he, the way he shoots scenes, um, some of the lighting, like in marriage story, he shoots Los Angeles incredibly ugly. And he shoots New York very beautifully. And it just, and it's like a really obvious um, uh, insight into his thoughts of Los Angeles, because he, of course, is a big New York person. And a lot of this movie is shot in New York, Francis Ha, that is. Um, and 
I don't know. I, I, I just, if, if you can shoot New York beautifully, you're probably a really good filmmaker, you know, because there's so many, of the, so many of the great filmmakers have shot in New York in completely different ways, but they're all, but none of them are wrong. You know, like Spike Lee shoots New York completely different than Woody Allen does. And it's still incredible to look at. Um, and, and this movie kind of puts its own spin onto that as well. So it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I just think this is the best movie visually he's ever made. I I know it's a much more basic answer, but maybe the film's self-aware of the fact it's like a simpler film. So kind of black and white kind of, um, what's the word? Foreshadows that? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I don't know. I, I People use, I mean, filmmakers use black and white for all for all different sorts of reasons and i think sometimes it's just as simple as they just think black and white just looks better than color sometimes you know which is um, which is fair enough like it's all yeah. well and good getting caught up and like oh why did you do this like wasn't necessary but it's like if it's not affecting the film like what's the problem yeah when i hear i mean when i hear interviews with filmmakers sometimes they say oh i i, I just shot this in black and white because i just thought it looked really good in black and white you know, and that's fair. Or, enough, in my I do, or they say, I prefer watching films that are just in black and white. This past year, there were a ton of movies in black and white. Um, interestingly enough, uh, we were talking about Come On, Come On earlier. That's in black yeah. and white. Beautiful, um, beautiful black and white. I love yes. Come On, Come On's use of Tragedy black and white. of Macbeth, which is a very different black and white. Um, that again works uh, really well. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that's a, that, I mean, visually, and I don't, you can say whatever you want about if it does the movie. Um, does the movie make any sense if you've never seen Macbeth? Like, that's a whole other conversation, but you, it's hard, it's impossible to deny that, that is a really, really beautiful film. Uh, but yeah, there were a ton of black and white films this, this past year, and that's that, that, that kind of that's kind of a funny way to tie into this conversation. I kind of feel the same though. When I watch films that are in black and white, I often find myself enjoying it so much because kind of everything else is kind of taken away. And you're just kind of left with the film, if you know what I mean. Like, there's no like real like distractions or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's a real argument to just say that oh, it just looks better. Everything just looks better in black and white, and maybe you shouldn't do it all the time, and then it'll sort of dull its effect. But I mean, when you have the right opportunity to do it, just do it, you know. Because I'm pretty sure this is his only black and white film. Um, I haven't seen Mr. America. I'm pretty sure that's not black and white. There's some, there's still some, uh, Bombac movies that I haven't seen, but I, you know, he is, I don't know how much of a conversation you want to get into Gerwig and Bombac and their careers, or even the movie that they're both doing coming up next year, this year. Um, but, uh, this is, I, I think this is the best movie Bombac's ever made. And, and this is definitely right up there with little woman and, uh, lady bird, in my opinion, when it comes to Gerwig movies. So it's i i i look again i look at this as much of a gerwig movie as i do as a bombback movie um and not just because gerwig's on the screen it's because she co-wrote the movie and i think that's really really key because it, it just changes like so much of the film and and again it, it creates that bond between bombback cynicism and gerwig's sort of aloofness and, and and slightly more positive outlook on on things so it's really beautiful and interesting do you fancy playing a game what do you fancy playing a game oh okay let's let's play so, what do we got here so i want you to kind of i'm going to make note of what you say um so have you, have you got the 2013 oscar browsers up on your screen 
Um, if you do, just get yes, rid of it. Yes, I do. Just yeah, I do. click away on a different tab. What? So just click away onto like a different tab so you can't see all the nominees from that year. Okay. Okay, now what I'm going to do, run through all the categories that you feel like if, if you were an Oscar voter, what categories you'd put it in. And then what I'm going to do, you're then going to look at all the nominees and um, for each nom- for each category you said it deserved to be in, you've got to take one of the nominees of that year out and put it in. Ooh, okay. So we're doing a replacement. But since this movie wasn't nominated for anything, which is absolutely absurd, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> then we're, we're going to be replacing for all of the six exactly. major categories, I believe, right? Or that's why it's or fun. thinking about, it, or at least attempting to, or five of them, because of course you can't. It can't get both screenplay nominations. You can only get one. Um, and this would be original. I mean, I usually have to double check these things, but I'm like ninety nine percent sure this one's original. So yeah. Okay. Good. Okay, okay, sir. So we'll kind of start. You can kind of start whichever category you like, really. But I guess we could just start with best picture. And if you want to kind of like make your way down the categories, yeah. So best picture. What what I think this movie should replace. Well, so we'll do all the categories for now, and then we'll go through it all together. Okay. So I. But do I? So I have to guess all the best picture nominees, or I have to try to attempt to guess all the best 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 the best picture nominees from that year too oh no no no, mate so like so you just kind of choose all the categories you deserved it to be nominated in and then you will then be able to have a look at the nominees of that year and then you have to have a look at them all and go right in best picture i take this movie out and i put there's no there's nothing for best actor best actress you know what screw it let's let's throw her in the ring and there's there there has to be something is usually best actress unfortunately i have weaker. a hunt this year it is best not act- best actress this year is fucking amazing it is it's better than best actor for me for the first time that i can remember way the, better. or even looking at the history i think the actress performances this year were better than the actor ones but i mean that's a later oh, conversation it but, was but still the best actress this year is oh and are we going to go into all like after can't can't go too much but i do have to get out of my system now the best actress is like the best I think we may like ever see for a long time. It's insane how good it is this year. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. They even missed some categories, but again, we're gonna they missed some some nominees, but we're gonna get into that later. As well. well, yeah, well, that, I know what you're getting to, but let's get to that later because I really yeah, yeah. I'd still go out that. Um, I'd say best picture for sure. I think it's better than all the best picture nominees from that year. Okay. I can confidently say that. That's very um, fair. Uh, you feel the same way. I would say I'm not sure I'd say it's the best I'd have to have a look, even though Zero Dark Thirty is amongst that lineup and it's one of my favorite films. But it's definitely mm. like up there with all those other films as being like one of the best, like number two or three. Okay, okay. A director, I would say yes. Mm, okay, but that might be a little bit closer, but um, you know, if if it's gonna if I'm gonna throw it into best picture, and I think it's the best movie. It should get a director nom, so I'm gonna throw director in there um screenplay obviously absolutely that is a slam dunk i'd say best actress yes and um there's no lead actor role really so i think i'm gonna but but supporting actress is the one that you i had to think about would you put sophie the Sophie character, would you nominate the Sophie character for an Oscar? It doesn't seem like an Oscar performance, it doesn't but it's seem also a like great it. performance. But then when you really think about it, she yeah. really drives the story and she has quite the emotional journey. 
yeah, let's do it. You know, screw it. Like, fuck it. How many great actress supporting actress performances were there this year anyway? Like, I'll I'll throw her in there too, and I think that's it though. Supporting that, I I I don't want to get into it, but I'm looking forward to talking about supporting actress as well. (laughs) Okay, so can I pull up the tab now? Is that all the categories then? You yeah, I think that's it because I think that's pretty much. Well, I mean, we're not doing like editing, are we? Or anything I mean, like that. You can do if that takes you. No, nah, I, I don't. I don't think so. I, that, that's a little bit too into the weeds. We'd be here forever. Oh shit! Um, yeah, that is true. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So yeah, uh, okay, you make a good point. Okay, so go okay, on. Okay, I want to pull. Up, I pulled up the tab now. So I'm looking at it now. So best picture, just for the audience who are listening, um, best picture nominated was Argo, which also won. Um, Amour, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Lames Are Up, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Lines Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. It's for 2012 being such a great year, none of those films really popped out as like great movies. Yeah, I agree. If I'm being, I think like the only one of these like films that I like really love is Zero Dark Thirty, and that's it. But, like, I really like Silver Lines Playbook and Argo and Django Unchained, but there's only one film there that I like love. I kind of want to rewatch Silver Lang's playbook, and I'm going to do that because David o. Russell's finally coming out with a movie this coming year. Um, oh, so yeah, I think is. It, it is a good time to sort of revisit that movie because, it was, again, it was so popular at the time. Um, and I, I respect most, if not all, of these movies, actually. This is actually a pretty stable group of nominees compared to some of the other years that are around this time, mm-hmm. given that um this is again this was an era before they really diversified the academy um so it actually to to actually nominate a bunch of to actually nominate a pretty wide array of films with a couple foreign filmmakers and 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 it's and and a couple things that usually wouldn't be nominated during this time this movie this year is actually a kind of a strange outlier year it's more it feels like more of like a 2020 or 2019 oscar slate than the 2012 one um it is pretty so impressive. it is kind of interesting in that way um but at the same time i think the movies themselves are all between good and very good most of them are between good and very good and because i guess lincoln and silver linings playbook would probably be my two favorites if i had to pick and and i look at the slate i'm also like life of pie and lee miz are the only movies i didn't really like i guess more is okay same actually and i've got to be honest um i don't think i'll be very popular for this but i wasn't overly keen on beasts of some world um i kind of want to rewatch that to be honest i i i do remember seeing it and i, and I think it's a kind of it's a really beautiful movie and and, and there's just a i don't know there's like a really visceral aspect to it that i really respect um but it is weird it's very strange that i got nominated for best picture and even at the time, it was strange that I got nominated for Best Picture. But anyway, like I, I Lincoln, I think is excellent. That's that's uh, to me that might be uh, Spielberg's best movie of that of the of that decade of the 2010s. Um, Silver Linings Playbook we talked about a little bit. Zero, Zero Dark Thirty is a movie that people like to cancel, but I think is actually good when you look at it as kind of a female working through it in a in a, in a, 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 a toxic male. Um, I'm kind of curious to ask because I've never known of that being a thing. Why is it people hate Cyrodiil Ferg so much? Yeah, because a lot of people don't like its politics, and it is kind of a right wing movie in a way, and in, in the way it kind of glorifies some of the some of the ways that, um, of course, the U.S. government sort of like 
kind of illegally terrorize these terrorists. I disagree um, because there's even a bit in the film where like they treat terror these terrorists well, and that's how they get information out of it. And it's almost like it's trying to say that the torture earlier on in the film is bad, but then the best way to get things out of people is through kindness and love. I yeah yeah I I, think I that's interesting. I, I don't know about kindness and love. That might be a little bit strong, but I, I know what you're trying to say, but th- I'm just saying what, this is what people are. This is what some people say, like that's an example. And it, to, and it, to a degree, they think it glorifies the military and that's not a, not a good progressive thing to do, but I don't think the movie's about the military. I, I don't no, think the movie's not. about the way and that's not what's trying to, that's what I, that's not what Catherine Bigelow is trying to say. What she's trying to say is that, there's this woman who succeeded in this toxic male environment during this extremely um, aggressive time in American history. And she succeeded and she fought through, fought through the odds. Like that's why I think it's a good movie because it, I, it displays that really well. I will forever fight for how great Jessica Chastain is in Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, that's her best she, performance. She uh, I mean, should have won over Jennifer Lawrence. I do not care. Fuck anybody who thinks differently. I, I do not understand how you can watch. I, I, I just don't get it. I don't, I, I, I don't get, I don't get the whole Silver Linings playbook like Jennifer Lawrence thing. I don't get it. Yeah. I like Jennifer Lawrence and Silver Linings playbook a lot. She's very, very good in that movie. They're, Certainly been worse, mo- worse performances that have been that have won uh, best actress uh, that have won best actress. But I don't, I don't know. I, I, I do agree with you that Chastain's probably better than her in that movie. Um, Les Mis is. I, I think I already mentioned this. Les Mis is bad. Uh, Life of Pi yeah. is also not a good movie. Uh, we we were just talking about um, Life of Pi a little bit before the show actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and Argo won best picture, and that's it's good. It's very good. It's not great. I, I don't think at least um, I have a lot of respect for it, but I do. I think that's like the third best movie Affleck's directed. I, I prefer Gone Baby Gone. And I definitely prefer The Town, you know, and neither of those movies got a lick at the Oscars. So, I, it, but Argo is a good movie. I think it's very good. I don't think it's great though. I, there's kind of a ceiling to it when I watched it. Um, yeah. And then the last one we haven't really talked about much is Django. And I think that's like B tier Tarantino, as much as I love Tarantino, he might yeah. be my favorite filmmaker of all time. It's you not know what's funny? Work. Is that criminally Tarantino lost the Oscar for best original screenplay to Mark Mark Bow for the Hurt Locker, which is just ridiculous when you're watching Glorious Bastards. But then he won yeah. this year over Mark Bow for Django Unchained. Um, I think that should be the other way around, in my opinion. I think Mark Bow probably should have won for Jared like 30, and Tarantino should have won for Glorious Bastards. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> so that's really strange that it works because it's not like, I mean, the Oscars love giving Tarantino screenplay awards, but not like director or best picture. Yeah. You know, they, they like giving him like, oh, you do you do good work, but you're not, but but it's too radical for, for us. You know, Let's give the talkie man original screenplay. <laughs> yeah, like let's let's give him this thing, like the, the Spike Lee getting best, best uh, like screenplay for Black Klansman, for example. It's like, oh, you've waited for a while and congratulations, you're, you're, you're great at your work, but what you're doing just isn't quite for the Oscars and the Oscars taste. Like Get Out winning best screenplay was the classic example of this because some people thought it had an outside chance of actually winning best picture and the reality is it never did. Um, but yeah. it won screenplay. It uh, sort of like as an acknowledgement of like, good job, good job, kid. You'll you'll be back here later. You know, then then we'll reward you after you sort of earn your way through the industry. Which again, none of that logic makes any sort of sense. Um, but 
hopefully that's changing now with the way they're again diversifying and growing the academy and you I kind do of see agree. the nominees now i do agree it's definitely changing but i think before best of best all the screenplay categories are more kind of like a we respect your film or, or award type of thing yeah yeah exactly um but i i have to pick one of these movies to take out and and put in francis ha yeah this is the, it's this is really easy. Lame is for Francis Ha, and I don't think it's. I'm I, not gonna even I, think about it twice. That's what I thought, and I completely agree. I yeah, Lame is is a is a pretty weak nominee for Best Picture. I will be honest. I mean, I'm not a Tom Hooper fan. Um, I I've said this. I said this on our old uh radio show in college. I mean, I was saying this before Cats came out. I I don't vibe with this guy. I, I, I just think either. he's a pretty vanilla filmmaker who thinks who thinks his films are more complex than they actually are. Visually, they're fine. They're not great, and I don't know. He there's 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 a there's a dissonance between what's actually on screen and, and how he sort of views his screenplays in his movies. Um, I, I think uh, the King's Speech is probably the best thing he's done. I think that's actually a pretty good movie. Uh, not a great film though. Not movie Shouldn't one won best, best picture, picture over the social, social network. network. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? I mean, I think the that's... best movie of the 2010s, the social network. Like... That's that, I think the social network losing best picture and director is the, the director was even worse in my opinion. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's an even bigger slap in the face. It's like they couldn't even. Oh, oh, it does. It makes me feel sick to think it make it actually like. I know it might sound stupid, but. I just love Fincher so much. It genuinely like makes me sad to think he just so should have won Best Director and it just didn't happen. It makes me think if he couldn't win for like one of the best directed films I've ever seen, is he like ever gonna win? There are a few things in life that I wish happened this year more than helping the killer comes out this year. David Fincher's upcoming film um about killer starring michael fassbender i am so excited he's going back to like his psychological i can't wait i can't wait for that yeah i loved mank i am i feel like i am in the vast minority of loving mank mank's a awesome movie i will i will defend that movie to the death i do like mank a lot i wouldn't i don't love it but i do like it a lot i can definitely i love i really I, I've, I've seen it a few times. A lot of people say it's not very rewatchable, but I've got to say, I do find it rewatchable. I find it incredibly rewatchable. I thought it was a lot better on the second watch. You know, I, the first watch, I thought it was, okay, oh, this is good, but not great. And then in the second time I watched, I'm like, wow, this is a, actually another masterpiece from David Fincher, arguably the best living filmmaker right now. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, let's try to get the train a little bit, a little bit more on the tracks yes. here. So um, moving on to you best director so we have ang lee who won five for pie <laughs> um michael haneke for amor ben zeitlin for beast of summer world steven spielberg for lincoln and david russell for similar playbook this was the crazy year where ben affleck who went everywhere else got snubbed for the director nomination and where um i feel like such a dick what's the female director of series art 30 called Catherine bigelow Catherine bigelow that's it um, Catherine Bigelow also got snubbed when she was nominated everywhere. So the Academy had it pretty rough this year. So I think in a way it might even be easier for you to decide who you would take out of Best Director. Um, I think Haneke actually does a pretty good job of directing Amore, which is, I, that sounds like a strange thing because I, to say because Amore is just like, okay. Um, who would I take out here? I think I know who I would. I think it's Ang Lee. I know he won, but I think it's Ang Lee. 
Fair enough. I would say Angley. Angley is probably my second. I might actually go with um, Ben Zeitlin for Beasts of Wild. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a great feel for that movie, so I just wasn't confident in saying, let's take this out, you know? I've seen yeah. it, but it was just like, I kind of saw it on a crappy screen, and it was a, it was like four years ago, five years ago even. Like, I, I, I don't have a great feel for that film, but Life of Pi, I, I just... I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it, I don't think the visual palette Angley has sort of fits really well with the story. And it's kind of a clunky, not a clunky story, but it's, it's like, it's a really overly cheesy kind of movie. Not cheesy, but overly, I don't know, kind of overdone. I don't know. I, I just didn't like, I just didn't respond to that movie really at all. And it's really strange that he won for that movie. Like what the heck? That doesn't make it just doesn't make any sense, especially since he won for Brokeback Mountain, um, which is actually a really good movie. Uh, I but, love Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I quite love it quite as much as other people do. It's probably a little bit too slow at at, at part at parts for me, but I, it's a very powerful film. Um, but I I yeah, I, if I'm if I had to take out one one guy, it'd be actually the person who won. It would be it would be Angley for sure. Yeah, you know, I he would be my second. So, shall we move on to Best Actress? Yeah, let's do so, it. So, your winner for that year, as we were discussing, was Jennifer Lawrence for The Silver Lines Playbook. Then we've got Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Thirty, Emmanuel Reaver for Amor, Kavenjane Wallace for Beast of the Summer World, and Naomi Watts for The Impossible. Which one do you take out? This is hard. It's actually not a bad lineup. This is actually a pretty good lineup for Best Actress, I gotta say. Quim- Quinson Zane Wallace, that was a huge deal at the time when she got nominated. And that was a pretty, that was a pretty incredible performance. She kind of carries the movie in a weird way, even though she was what, eight years old when they, when they shot that. Yeah, um, really young. Crazy. And Emmanuel Riva, she's great no more. She kind of has to carry the emotional weight of that movie too. So I don't know. I don't know. I love that. But I, 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 do, I definitely don't think it's Chastain or Lawrence. I think they both were very deserving nominees that year. I think Lawrence, you could make a case that her performance was just like kind of over the top and overly loose. And, and some people just flat out don't like Jennifer Lawrence as an actress. I think that's kind of an overreaction. I think she probably is a bit overrated, but I think on the whole, she's very good at her job. No, no, I disagree. No, yeah, you know, I agree. I was about to say, no, I disagree. No, I do agree. Like, I'm not, like, head over heels in love with her as an actress, but, like, I think she's a perfectly good actress. Like, I haven't got, like, any complaints about her. I, I don't want to go too much on a Jennifer Lawrence tangent, but I, I think a lot of the problem with her career and the reason why she has probably had more poor performances than good ones is just, like, some of the career choices she's either been forced to be in or she's just flat out made. Like, you know, spending all that time making those X-Men movies really sort of hurt her in her career, I think. Like, most of those movies weren't very good, and it kind of took up any sort of space. Oh, and combine that with, you know, when you put that into into sort of perspective, then it kind of doesn't allow her to kind of sort of branch out and do more interesting dramas, you know what I mean? Especially when yeah. you're stuck in like a bad superhero franchise. Does that make sense? Makes sense. And so in like the Hunger Games series, like she was stuck doing four Hunger Games movies and one of those movies are good, you know? And like that, that's a lot of time that she just used up on 
these franchises that frankly didn't really work. Um, so it like if she so when joy when she makes joy and that movie ends up not being very good now all of a sudden we're creating this perception that she actually isn't a good actress when i think in the real the reality of her situation is she is a good actress she's just been kind of saddled with this mediocre mediocre career and saddled in these mediocre movies for i i'd say heck the most part of her career like she hasn't had that many movies where you're like oh wow amazing film that was led by Jennifer Lawrence. Like Silver Linings Playbook is like kind of an exception to the rule in a way. Oh yeah. So like I mean, it reminds me of Adam Sandler because I know it's a controversial thing to say because he does a lot. Yeah, Sandler. Movies. Yeah, but Sandler. That that's like a, a that is a conscious decision to just make stupid comedies with his mm-hmm. family on vacation. Like yeah. kind of like I mean, when you have certain priorities, like it, it's it that that's a little bit different situation. But I I do agree that kind of the outcome is um, kind of similar. Um, so I so I take it you're not a huge fan of Hubie Halloween. Oh no! I think I think it's um <laughs> up there, the Godfather, mate. You don't know who you're talking about. It's a great, it's a great film. <laughs> I have a lot of I do have. I actually did see Hubie Halloween, and I have a lot of respect for that movie. It's just like it, it just goes for it, and it's hysterical. Um, maybe that's because I'm actually from the Boston area. But anyway, anyway, um, shall we choose who we take out best actress? Uh, we haven't mentioned Naomi Watson, The Impossible. The Impossible is like sneaky good. Like, you know, that movie's actually pretty good. And yeah. she's great in that film. So I don't want, I'm actually not going to take her out. You know what? Ooh. People are going to accuse me for being a hater of, of young actors and actresses. But I think Wallace, I'm taking out Wallace. Oh, you cruel thing. I know I'm a cruel thing, but I, I just think that was the weakest of the five. You know, I if I had to pick, and even though I do have a lot of respect for all these performances, but, you know, I, I just think that I... I can't justify not putting Gerwig on this list. I, I just can't because I think she's at least as good as everyone else here. W- would you agree? Well, I definitely agree. I mean, I agree between Covenjane Wallace and Naomi Watts. Um, I'd probably give Naomi Watts though. Only just like, it's not really. Like, have I you seen like, The Impossible? I have seen it and like, she's great in it. Don't get me wrong. But like, I'm just looking here. Like I, I, whilst I definitely, I'm not behind the win. I think Jennifer Lawrence is, by far and away nomination worthy. Jessica Chastain, I'd probably give the winner. Manya Reeves, fantastic. Kavanya Wallace as a young actress completely carries that film, which is already a great film. And then yeah. it kind of leaves Naomi Watts, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I think I had to choose. Like it doesn't like it's a really good lineup, and it I don't like I don't like having to do it, but I probably would go Naomi Watts. Yeah. Do you want to feel old? Oh God, go on. This was okay. So this was the Oscars from ten years ago. She was probably about eight years old when that movie came out. She's probably about to graduate high school now. Think about oh, that. Oh Jesus! I mean, how, <laughs> how old are you? I'm 22. She's so she's not that much younger than than me. I think and, she's my age. She might be like a year younger. I'm I'm 19. I turned 20 in May. Oh, you're only 19. Wow, I had no idea. I'm, we're learning all sorts of things on the podcast. What did you think I sounded looked older? Or? No, I thought you were like I thought you were at least my age, if not older. I, I don't know. Wow. I, I just oh, sort of figured that. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, it's interesting though because I probably would have thought you were younger. To be fair, I think culture yeah. like cultures often do find it hard to um like you know obviously you're American, 
I'm yeah yeah but i look younger i mean everyone thinks i'm younger anyway i I don't even know if it's a culture thing and more of just like a i look young thing i do i do look young i do come across as older though like i rarely get id for alcohol or anything really okay wow that's interesting i mean Um, in this country it is 18 though so it's a little yeah that's what i was about to say like isn't it it's it's 18 over there but it's 21 over here um but uh, yeah, do you want to go on? Let's move on to yeah, the supporting so, actress. Let's not get carried away. Best supporting actress. Um, not a very good lineup, I'll be honest. So your winner, and halfway for Les Miserables. Yeah. And then the rest of the nominees, Amy Adams for The Master, Sally Field Lincoln, Helen Hunt The Sessions, and Jackie Weaver, Silver Lines Playbook. I have not seen The Sessions, have you? No. So because of that, we are going to pretend Helen Hunt um, wasn't nominated and it was someone someone else who was good enough to be nominated okay okay Um, that shouldn't exist jackie weaver is 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 very good in silver linings playbook not as good as robert de niro though so that is that is something to sort of at least keep in your keep in keep in mind sally field i'm not a huge sally field fan but but I, i mean as the as the wife of abraham lincoln like you kind of need the she, she you needed someone of sally field's energy to play that part so it actually kind of weirdly fits um in that you know the fact that she even was nominated amy adams is kind of incredible in the master that's one of her best performances i think have you seen the master i'm really embarrassed to admit i haven't so the master yeah the master is insane um i would i would suggest that you see it it's it's one of the best made movies. It's not my particularly my favorite or even my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film, but it is one of the, it's objectively, just objectively one of the best made films and has some of the best sequences of the last decade, of the previous decade, I should say. Um, and it's incredible that that movie didn't get nominated for Best Picture. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie starring Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and Joaquin Phoenix. And, and they it barely got a PTA. whiff at the Oscars. Just unbelievable. Um, and uh, Amy Adams plays this very messed up role, and it's just kind of it, it's it's just mesmerizing what she does in that movie. So she's definitely going to stay on the list for me. Um, Anne Hathaway and Les Mis, uh, just no, no, thank you. You know what? I'm just going to take out Anne Hathaway for Les Mis. Oh. I'm going to take out the winner. Um, to me, that's probably the worst of the performances here. You know, it's not like Jackie Weaver was incredible or Sally Field was even incredible, even though I actually think Sally Field's pretty good in Lincoln. Um, I think Anne Hathaway and Les Mis, I think nothing about that movie really works. And I, when in doubt, take out Les Mis, I, it's, I say. Um, and I'm going to definitely put our girl Sophie on there instead. I love how you unapologetically just don't like Les Mis and just happily take Anne Hathaway out. I mean, do you like Les Mis? I don't think you do. I don't. No, I don't. I don't like it at all, but I probably would. <laughs> i say Anne Hathaway is probably the best thing in that film. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I'm not remembering Les Mis well enough. That, that would, but like, it's. I think I'm okay with that because I, Anne Hathaway should, has, has, has needed to win Oscars earlier and probably deserved to win an Oscar for something like Rachel's Getting Married, you know? Much yeah. better performances that she'd had. Like, you know, like I, I want her to at least be remembered for a movie that's actually good. What the fuck does Anne Halfway actually do though these days? Like, not to be arrogant, but it doesn't seem. No, like she's she, made some. She's made she's some made tough some, decisions lately. I, made, I will agree with you there. She's been in some bad she's, movies. Man. Talk about someone who's also in a bit of a rut right now. Amy Adams is just oh, on a bro. cold streak I mean, right now. I'm Woman a big, in the window. 
Yikes. I'm a big fan and supporter of Vice, but like he'll be energy with Women in the Window. Yeah, Dear Evan Hansen. She think I think. Yeah, Dear Evan Hansen. I forgot about that. I you? I know you're not gonna like me. I I didn't like love it, but I I quite like Dear Evan Hansen. I'd put it like up with the same enjoyment level I had for like in the wow. House. Really, I, I get it's a bit dumb and whatnot, and like it's Ben Platt being cast oh, as ridiculous, wow. but I, I, I really don't. Like... I, wow, I'm surprised. I never saw Dear Evan Hansen to be honest. I skipped it because I saw the trailer and I thought it was horrible, and then everyone said it was horrible, and I'm like, what's the point of seeing this thing? You know, I mean, I saw like ninety something odd movies last year, so that came out last year. So I, I, you know, if I, I can, I can press the skip button on a couple if i just don't simply just do not need to see this thing and there were a million musicals last year out anyway so there were so many great musicals out last year yeah. i think it's such a shame that the oscars only recognize one best picture which we'll get to um so um last but not least we have best original screenplay which is also another great lineup we have Django Unchained and more Flight, Moonrise Kingdom and Zero Dark 30 Django Unchained being the winner of those so if you had to take one out what what one would it be um, I don't, for whatever reason, I don't have the uh, screenplay noms out that year. So I'm going to pull it up right now. Give me one second. Okay. Oh, wait, shoot, I screwed up. Yeah, um, Flight being in here is kind of a fun little wrinkle. We haven't talked about that movie yet. Oh no, we haven't. Oh, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom is definitely one of the ten, eight, eight to ten best movies of that year. By the way, that's an incredible movie. I love I, that film. I saw Moonrise Kingdom when I was like thirteen, and I just did not get it. Well, you were thirteen. I mean, if you I watch it 13. now, I probably yeah. do have to watch it again. I'm telling you, if you watch that movie now, it's inc- It's one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies to be told. I, that movie is a real soft spot for me. Just an incredible coming of age story. I, I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox is like one of my absolute favorite films. But apart from that, oh, yeah. I've, I've never connected with any of his work. Like Grand Budapest Hotel, I really didn't like. Really? I, I thought, wow, I thought, man. I thought, I thought French Dispatch was like, all right. I liked it, but um i love his films for the most part i i mean there's like been a couple that i haven't totally connected with but like i i have a lot of respect for the french dispatch even though i don't think that's as necessarily his best work um moonrise kingdom's amazing grand Budapest hotel is kind of a masterpiece i i, I don't know i'm a huge fan of this guy uh, the royal tenenbaums is a really really interesting and really good film it ages much better in my head every time i think about it um so i i i'm a big wes anderson person i th- I think i've seen all his movies except for one so um big fan know. of his uh i'm keeping django on here because the more i think about django the more i'm like oh yeah it's actually this movie is actually freaking awesome but the fact that it isn't like pulp fiction is is the reason why we kind of look down on it sometimes you know what i mean oh, yeah um, yeah and i've always thought that's unfair but you know i do agree yeah i don't know if a more the sound of the screenplay is not what it makes them more good. I, I, I think it's the performances, you know, I, I don't really, I, that's kind of a specific thing that I, I think the screenplay in flight is quite good. Even if that movie is a tough sit, um, Moonrise kingdom, I already talked about that. And then with zero dark 30, I think that's a, that's a quite good, that script's actually quite good. Um, so, Ooh, who to take out here. I'm, I'm going to take out a more here. Um, you know, we 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 haven't really picked on this movie too much. I think it's I think it's a 
this movie, I have a lot of respect for him more, but I'm never going to watch it again. And I don't think the movie's quite as interesting as it thinks it is. And it's, to me, it's more manipulative than actually um, effective filmmaking, you know, manipulative because of its subject and less, and less so because it's actually incredibly well-crafted or anything like that. Even though the performances I think are excellent. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Because there's a difference between being manipulative in a way that you're just moving, you're moving the audience because of the characters and the story and the plot and the filmmaking. And there's a difference between that being manipulative and yeah, the other way of being manipulative is just like, you know, your character's sick, you know, and 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 that that alone can that alone will hook hook the audience. Like I kind of feel that way with the father. To sort of compare a movie that this movie is actually quite similar to the father in some ways um in, in an old person sort of losing their head but but with yeah. the father it's from the actual from the anthony hopkins character perspective and i think he's incredible in that film but the film itself i don't actually think is good you oh, know, and i in the vast minority here with this but i really don't never didn't respond to the father um I, again, I thought it was more manipulative than actually. Good. I mean, the father was my favorite, the best picture lineup. So we exactly that's it, see. I am in the minority here. Like I know I'm, I'm going to stick to it because I just think that it was just kind of there was just kind of a lack of self awareness to it, and there just wasn't a it wasn't as half as clever as, as I thought it that it thought it. I didn't think it was half as clever as, as it thought it was. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. And a lot of it, some of the you know the the perspective sh- sh- shifting stuff. I thought that was a little predictable as well. I don't know. I, I, th- I just didn't really respond to that movie. Um, but I think a more is like kind of a slightly better version of that, to be honest. Um, but I, either way, I, I'm taking it out of those th- compared to these other four movies. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's a total accident that the screen, these screenplay nominations are actually stronger than say the best picture nominations, because, you know, they usually get, usually the screenwriters, they actually nominate pretty darn good films. It's pretty consistently, they do a good yeah. job of it. Like, even the heck, look, this year, it's even it's this taking year, another step forward, right? With like the worst person in the world. Out, worst person in the world. And that was amazing. I love Exactly. That. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that film yet because it's been, it's really hard to see here. Um, kind of, impo- it's been kind of impossible for me to see. Uh, I really hope it's available. I've, I've seen, soon. I've, I've been, I mean, because I'm part of some organizations, I've been lucky to be able to see some films. Um, worst person in the world is, I think, the only one left of the international features, which I'm really trying to hold out on, trying to trying to see, and it's killing me because I just we oh, I just really want to see that film, man. Yeah, same. And I I haven't seen Drive My Car yet for a similar reason. Like it just hasn't been available where I live. So, um, I really want to see it. I, I heard it's incredible, and I just. I don't know. So that's why I was really excited to see HBO Max picked it up. Um, but yeah, should I mention it now? We're getting very casual. So should we wrap up? Um, uh, Francis Har move on to Oscars. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, we found a home for all these. Uh, for for all our favorite parts of Francis Ha. The hardest part was probably Best Actress. Probably Best Actress. Yeah. Um. So absolutely, I agree. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so if you had to rate Francis out of 10, what would it be, sir? I think it's a perfect movie, so 10 out of 10. 
whoa coming i do i do it more on stars than like 10 out of 10 and i I mean there's no such thing as i guess 10 and 10 10 out of 10 so i should probably say like nine and a half but to me this is a five star movie five out of five stars like okay honestly like i just don't i don't know like we haven't talked about a single flaw about the movie because there is none there are none like like what is a like do you have a flaw of the movie can you think of one right now because i don't i no i don't so well i don't like to say 10 out of 10 often um because i think that's for a very very particular films it's darn close so um i'm gonna go i'm thinking generous now. i'm gonna go nine out of ten okay i'm gonna stick with nine nine and a half something like that because i just think it's a perfect movie and it just really, really blew me away 